You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for just another opportunity, Lord, to gather together around your word and to feed upon it. Father, Jesus said it is the bread of life. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, that we expect to uh, be fed tonight, to receive from your word. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus called him the teacher. And so we give him the, whole, the, the Holy Spirit permission to teach us, to lead and guide us into truth, to bring revelation insight into our lives. And Father, I thank you that as we see these truths from your word, we'll be mindful not just to be hearers only, but like James said, we'll be doers of the word as well. And we thank you for it. Lord, I thank you that it will make a difference in our lives and will cause us to be changed and we believe to receive all that you have for us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if y'all want to turn in your Bibles with me, uh, I'm going to meet you in just a second over in Romans chapter 5. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, we'll read a verse out of there and then we'll go over to verse uh, chapter 7 rather. And uh, let me just hit on a couple of things that we've talked about from previous weeks. And... Uh, we're talking about spiritual warfare. This is week number three in our, in our lessons on spiritual warfare. And a couple of points that are extremely important for us to remember, and that is this. We must always remember that the real battle with Satan was won at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the battle has already been fought. Jesus already fought the battle for us. And uh, he has already won the victory. And so again, as I've been saying to you, we must approach the subject of spiritual warfare from a place of having already obtained the victory, not we're trying to win the fight. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians approach uh, their life as believers in that way and thinking that, you know, we're praying, trying to get the victory. We're praying, trying to get these things that Jesus has already bought and paid for us to have, and they already belong to us. So all we have to do is just receive them and walk in them. And so we talked about there are three different aspects to spiritual warfare. Number one is taking control of our minds. Number two is crucifying the flesh. Then after you do those two things, is when it's time to deal with the devil. And a lot of times we want to deal with the devil first before dealing with our flesh or dealing with our mind and renewing our minds. And so uh, it, we've got it out of order sometimes, but it's really dealing with our thinking. It's dealing with the flesh where all of our natural desires reside. And then after we've done those things, do we deal with the enemy? And another thing that we have said is this, that whatever the devil does, if he does bring an attack into our lives, that Jesus wants to uh, match that attack with a, an even greater victory and blessing in your life. The one thing that you'll learn about the Lord, and I love this, 
is the fact that Jesus didn't give us barely get by victory. Jesus gave us over the top victory. And so you'll find that in your dealings with the devil, when you win over him, it's not just a little bitty barely get by victory. It's, it's a uh, predominant uh, victory that we win. And, and the last thing to say to review is most battles are fought and won because we're faithful to heed the Holy Spirit's warnings to deal with some area of our lives before it gets out of control. And, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm more aware of this the longer I have walked with the Lord that the Holy Spirit, one of the things that he was sent into our lives to do was to reveal those areas to us that could possibly be inroads for the enemy to be able to gain access into our lives. And he does that because number one, he loves us and cares for us, but he wants us to have the victory. And so he'll begin to deal with us about areas of our flesh, areas of our thinking, things like that, that need to be changed or dealt with so that again, we don't open up access to the enemy. Now, I want to talk to you tonight, uh, and we're going to just take our time with this. I've got plenty of material for tonight, but I'm going to take, we're going to take our time on what we're going to move into next. And, uh, you know, I think some of us have been saved long enough to where we have forgotten what it was like to be lost. Uh, you know, I'm going on 45 years of having been saved, uh, you know, that long. I know others have probably been saved just as long or longer. And a lot of times we forget the condition that we were in before we were born again, before we received Christ. And we may not have been fully aware of our spiritual condition, but uh, we were very, very much in trouble. And so, you know, in a lot of what we see going on in the world and a lot of what we see people doing uh, in their, their actions, their responses, and things like that. Uh, one of the things that we need to keep in mind is reminding ourselves that they are lost. And a lot of times, you know, we, we Christians have a tendency that we want everybody to act like us. And what you need to understand is sinners aren't going to act like us because they don't know to act like us. They're lost, they're blinded, and uh, they're in bondage. And so what I want to talk about is a portion of, of Pastor Rick Renner's book. And I forgot which chapter it is, but um, he talks about the world, the spiritual condition of the world when Jesus came into the, to the earth. And he says this, it was into this stinking, deteriorating, sinking, death-permeated, demonically in energized world where all of humankind was being auctioned off by the devil into various kinds of slavery and bondage that Jesus Christ came in 2,000 years ago. And so God sent his son, now listen to this, into the enemy's slave market with one purpose in mind, so Jesus could secure man's deliverance from Satan's bondage once and for all. Now, we're familiar because of culture and history uh, of what uh, slave markets were all about. But, you know, you need to understand that was not man's idea. Slavery and bondage is the devil's idea. 
And since Adam's fall has been endeavoring to keep man in that level of bondage and, and in slavery. And so when God sent Jesus into the world, one of the main purposes that Jesus came to do was to deliver us from all of that, to set us free. And so I want to talk about, there are four words in the Greek language that, that the writers use in talking about redemption that I'm going to talk about that'll help you gain a better understanding of redemption. And the reason that I want to do this is because, and, and Pastor Rick brings this out in his book very well, but that, that so we can gain a better understanding of what we have been bought out of and brought into to help us understand our victory and what has been done for us, spiritually speaking, so that we can walk in victory over the powers of darkness, okay? So here's the, and I'm gonna teach you a little bit of Greek tonight, so just bear with me, I'll spell the words. Here's word number one, and I'll spell it. It's A-G-O-R-I-D-Z-O. It's the Greek word akaritzo, okay, A-G-O-R-I-D-Z-O, and it's the Greek word for a slave marketplace. Now, again, we're familiar with those terms maybe because of history, but um, as far as in a natural standpoint, uh, these places were grossly inhuman places where people were treated in the most disgusting way. They were paraded in front of potential buyers where the merchandise could be slapped, beaten, spat upon, and to see if, if the people that were being sold could take this type of abuse. Slaves had no personal worth, viewed no better than the animals. And because of sin, now listen to me, because of sin, the world had sunk to a place where the world was a global slave market where Satan had gripped the hearts of men and filled their natures with violence and destruction. And that is still true today. People that are not born again, people that are uh, lost are still enslaved to their master and that is the devil. And so Jesus was born into this type of environment with the mission to set people free from this life and this bondage. Okay, so let's look at a couple of verses, Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. I'm going to read it to you out of the, the New King James and then the Amplified Bible. The New King James says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned. In the Amplified Bible, it says, Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, and death as the result of sin, so death spread to all men, no one being able to stop it or escape its power, because all men sinned. Now go over with me to the seventh chapter, and I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to read it from the uh, New King James, and then I'm going to read it from the Amplified. The New King James says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Talking about the person that is not born again. In the Amplified Bible, it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a creature of the flesh, 
carnal, unspiritual, having been sold into slavery under the control of sin. So unfortunately, when Adam sinned, he sold all of us into this, this slavery and bondage, and our master now was, was God's adversary, Satan himself. And so, because we were the merchandise that he was dealing with on this slave market, Satan would slap, kick, beat, spit upon, and abuse us in every way that he could. Once that treatment was over, then he would place us back on the auction block and sell us again to other, some other form of bondage. You know, think about this. Um, those, those of us that uh, uh, before we were saved, we might've been involved in some type of bondage. And think about this. Once you get born again, and maybe you begin to catch a little glimpse of your freedom in Christ, what does the devil try and do? He tries to get you through different methods back into a place of bondage so that he can continue to abuse you. And a lot of times we're susceptible to that. We fall for that because we don't understand the fullness of what Jesus did when he came to redeem us and set us free. So the first word for redemption is that Greek word, akarizo, where it descri describes the slave market that we were bought in. Think about this. Jesus rode into, if you will, the slave market, didn't have to, came into that slave market with the sole purpose of gathering everybody he could, freeing them from that market and taking them out so that they would never have to experience that again. Let me show you some other verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20. And these are where the Greek word akarizo was actually used. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20 says this, For you were, and here's the Greek word, bought at a price, Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 23. Paul said this, You were bought at a price, therefore do not become slaves of men. In other words, you were bought out of the slave market. Don't let yourself slip back in there. Don't go back in there ignorantly thinking you know, and not understanding what you were redeemed from. Now, here's my favorite, okay? I want you to think about this. Uh, turn over, and, and let's look at it for ourselves. Revelation chapter 5. Man, when I saw this, it was so exciting. Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to get my other Bible here. Revelation chapter 5, and let's look at verse 9. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9. And I want you to get a glimpse of this. Now this is what's going on in heaven. Now, if you look at the first part of chapter five, uh, the apostle John wrote and he said, for I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back with seven seals. And, and uh, but I wept, he says in verse four, because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders, in verse 5, said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, 
has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he, Jesus, came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Notice that word redeemed. It's the Greek word akarizo. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and listen to this, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. So think about this. What, what these elders are gathered around the throne singing about is the fact that Jesus came, he came into the slave market of the world, of the earth, and bought us out of, he took us out of that slave market. And think about this, we who were once slaves and in bondage, notice what it says, he's made us now kings and priests before our God. And so you begin to see the level of redemption that Jesus bought and paid for. Now, let's go to the next Greek word. And it's, it's the same Greek word, agorizo, but with E-X in front of it, the letters E-X, okay? And uh, what, is, what is it that's usually in a public place written over the door so you'll know where to go out? Exit. Exit, okay? All right, so that's actually from this Greek prefix, X, which means out, okay? So what this Greek word, when you add the, the prefix to akarizo, what's it, what it means is out of the slave market. So this word signifies the purchase of a slave, listen to this, in order to permanently set that slave free from that heinous place, never to be put on the trading block of slavery again, okay? So think about this. Jesus again came to deliver us, came to set us free from that awful spiritual place so that we would never have to end up there again. Now, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, you're probably familiar with this verse, says this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. What is that saying? It says that Christ has akarizo or ex akarizo. He brought us out of that slave market, brought us out of the curse, having become a curse for us. And if you go on and read, it says, so that the blessing can come upon us, the blessing of Abraham. See, you're not going to be able to walk in the blessing of Abraham as long as you hang around that slave market. You're going to have to come out of that slave market in order to walk in what Jesus bought and paid for. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I love this. 
It says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, listen to this, verse 5, to redeem, ex acharizo, those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now get this. I love the fact Revelation tells us that we've been made kings and priests, but not only that, Jesus walked into that slave market, found us on the auction block where we were being abused and in bondage and slavery to Satan, walked in, paid the price, redeemed us from that market, and then adopted us as his own sons and daughters. He didn't just make us ex-slaves. We are sons and daughters. So over the top, okay? All right, so now slaves did not come cheaply. If the auctioneer who was auctioning off the slave knew that a buyer really wanted, they really liked a particular slave, what they would do is they would jack up the price and demand an undeniably or unbelievably high price for this. And so, therefore, that bears to reason, then what price did Jesus pay for our freedom from Satan's power? Jesus paid the highest price to buy a slave that has ever been paid in history. And that was his own blood and his own life. Okay? So, by using this word, Paul is telling us that our salvation is not free. On the contrary, our freedom from Satan's power was extremely expensive. So again, what was the ransom that Jesus paid to procure our freedom from Satan's bondage and ownership? It was his own blood. Nobody had ever shed their own blood and died in order to purchase a slave. That's counterintuitive. But Jesus did. He shed his own blood in order to purchase the, us. Okay, so let's look at a number of scriptures. Again, if you want to just make note of these, and there's several. All right, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to tell you what the Greek word was. <laughs> Apologize for that. The Greek word for the price that was paid is spelled L-U-T-R-O-O, Lutroo in the Greek. Okay, L-U-T-R-O-O. And this is the price that was paid to purchase us out of bondage and slavery. All right, and this is the word that is translated in our English Bible, redemption, in these verses. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. Ephesians 1, 7 says this, In him, Jesus, we have redemption, lutro, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. 
the price that was paid was his blood. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 says this, And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having, been made, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, uh, 12. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12 says this, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered into the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption, meaning the price was paid. Jesus took his own blood into the heavenly holy of holies and sprinkled the heavenly utensils with his own blood, having obtained our eternal redemption. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. The price paid was not corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but, verse 19, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Man, I love the fact that Jesus paid the highest price for you and for me that could possibly be paid. He, there was no greater price that could be demanded. Justice demanded that God pay the price, that Jesus pay the price for you and for me. And thank God because of his great love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He <laughs> sent his son in order to redeem us to deliver us and to set us free. Um, the fourth word, and I'll spell it for you, is A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S. A-P-O-L-U-T-R-O-S-I-S. Now, any time in the Greek language, I've already taught you, if you see a Greek word and it's got X in front of it, E-X, that means out, okay? Matter of fact, uh, in the uh, Hebrew, you might remember there's a slight variation of this. Uh, it talks about the uh, glory departed, okay? Ekbalo, the glory had left. So that, that means it had gone out. In, in this particular word, when you see the prefix A-P-O, okay, A-P-O, it means away, A-W-A-Y, away, okay? So what this word means is with that prefix and then lutrosis. Uh, no. <laughs> She's just saying amen. Excuse me. That's all right. <laughs> all right, this word means to ransom or redeem. Now get this, listen to this carefully. Not only to take us out, but to return us to the condition we were in before our captivity began. Let me say that again. This word means to ransom 
or redeem and return us to the condition we were in before our captivity began. Let me say it to you this way. Through what Jesus did for you and for me, the price that he paid to redeem us, we have spiritually been placed in the position that Adam was before he sinned. Now, somebody says, well, how come then do we have to deal with our flesh and so forth? That's because the fullness of our redemption we will experience at the return of the Lord Jesus. But spiritually, your spiritual condition right now is that spiritually speaking, you are in the same position and condition that Adam was before he sinned. And all of this is, is contained in this Greek word. So Jesus paid the price to permanently free us, take us out of that slave market, and then fully restore us to the place before we were sold into slavery. Okay? Now again, that Greek word is used in Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So in this, war, in this particular verse, using this word here, Paul declares that we were forever delivered from Satan's power. We were forever removed from that dreadful place of slavery. And now we have been fully restored by the blood of Jesus Christ and placed back into right standing with God. You might have heard this before, but when, when 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, what that means is, is we have been placed in a position and in relationship and in standing with God as though sin never existed. All by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are fully restored and fully set free from Satan's former grip over us. All right? Look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7. Isn't this awesome? Oh, yes. Amen. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, now you understand why Paul, and again, you know, Paul knew what he was writing. We're looking at it years down the road after translation. But Paul said this. Um, let me read verse 6. Oh, let me read verse. Let me just read 4 through uh, 7. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, un born under the law to redeem. Remember, bring us out. Those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of of sons, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now listen to this. Here's verse 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Okay? So what does that mean? That means... Satan lost his grip over you. He is no longer your master. He no longer has a legal right 
or any other right to exercise control or authority in your life. You do not belong to him. You belong to God. God paid a great price for you and for me. And so therefore, we've been brought out of his control, brought out of his bondage, brought out of his domain so that uh, he can no longer abuse us, take advantage of us, and keep us in bondage. That's what Jesus has done for us, okay? Now, with all that being said, it, it, it stands to reason. Somebody might say, uh, why then does the battle still rage on? Mm -hmm. In other words, why, why do we have warfare? Why do we have to deal with this? Why does the devil give us a hard time? Okay, and if, if we've been set free, utterly and totally, completely set free from Satan's control, then why is there a battle? All right, well, let me read to you a little bit from Pastor Rick's book, okay? And I just found this story was very illustrative uh, as far as what I'm trying to, to communicate to you, okay? So someone may ask if Jesus' death and resurrection really broke the authority of the devil over our lives, why does the battle still rage? If we have been truly translated out of Satan's kingdom, why does his kingdom still seem to exert influence upon our lives? If Jesus genuinely spoiled principalities and powers, as Colossians 2.15 declares, then why do so many believers still have to deal with horrible strongholds in their minds? And then he relays this story. Several years ago, the police called a friend of mine in the middle of the night, informing him that one of his animals, a goat, had gotten out of his property and had been hit and killed by a car. My friend quickly put on his jacket and rushed to the place where the dead goat was supposed to be lying. However, when he arrived at the scene, he discovered that the goat wasn't dead at all. Someone had stolen the goat, tied up its legs with rope so that it couldn't move, and then dumped the goat along the side of the road. My friend reached over, untied the rope that held the goat captive, and then slapped it and said, Get up! But the goat just lay there as though it was still bound and unable to move. Once again, he slapped the goat and said, get up, but the goat continued to lie on its side as if it were incapable of moving. The man began examining the goat, looking for a wound that was possibly keeping it from getting up. Then he noticed that the animal's legs were still tightly clinging to one another as though they were still tied with ropes. The problem then became clear. The goat thought it was still bound. So my friend bent over, picked up the goat, set it on its feet, slapped it again and telling it to get up. Finally, the goat realized its feet were no longer bound and began to jump and leap in its newfound freedom. Most of us are just like that goat in this story. We were previously bound by Satan's destructive power. He tied us up in total slavery and then dumped us waiting for destruction to completely ruin us. Then when we heard the gospel message and were born again, Jesus Christ came to untie Satan's hold on our lives. Through Jesus' redemptive work at the cross, he legally removed the bondages that held us captive 
including mm -hmm. every stronghold that held us hostage in our minds. Mm -hmm. However, even though this freeing work has already been done, we often don't fully perceive that we have already been set free. Jesus looks at us and says, get up. Yet we lie on our sides, bound up in our scars, our pains, our mental hangups, not realizing that we have really been set free. Even when somebody, someone finally comes along and points out our freedom to us, we still have to maintain our Christ-bought, Christ-imparted freedom by renewing our minds. Freedom becomes a way of life only as we replace our wrong thinking and wrong believing with what the Word of God declares about our new condition. Any pastor can verify that people who have just been saved must work to overcome the emotional and mental scars they received while they were still in the world under the devil's control. Although the inner man has been born again and made new, the mind and the body must still be conformed to the image of the inner man. These newly saved individuals received much abuse while they were members of Satan's slave market, held captive by the negative consequences of sin. Perhaps they struggled with many different things, and, and, and he lists several things here, and, or there was some other type of scar that was inflicted on their souls before they met the Lord. If these residual areas from the past are not removed through the renewing of the mind by the Word of God, these strongholds can and will continue to exert power in the life of a Christian. Moreover, if these residual areas are not dealt with according to the Word, these are the very areas Satan will use to wage warfare against that person's new life. Is that not powerful? Okay, so freedom becomes a way of life, he says, as we replace our wrong thinking and wrong believing with what the Word of God declares about our new condition, okay? Now, I want to give you a little list here of maybe some residual areas that you might need to check up on and ask the Holy Spirit to help you, okay? Here's the first one, and he, he says this clearly, wrong thinking, wrong thinking, okay? Now, if, if you have been around our church any time a period, any time period at all, you've heard me say this. Wrong thinking leads to wrong believing. Wrong believing leads to wrong speaking. And all of that combined equals a wrong way of life or the quality of life that God wants you to live. Okay? So we have to start with wrong thinking. All of us have some element of wrong thinking that we have picked up somewhere through and along our, our lives um, that has shaped the way we think and ultimately shaped the way and what we believe, okay? And so this process as believers, yes, we've been born again, but what you need to understand is your flesh responds to your soul and, and what your soul tells it to do and your spirit tells it to do. But if there are areas 
of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions that have not been renewed with the word of God, then your, your flesh now has a teammate that it can team up with and rule over your spirit. Okay. So again, we have to, number one, begin to address wrong thinking. Here's number two. And this, I've said this already, wrong believing, wrong believing. Okay. All of us have areas of our lives where we have wrong believing. We're, there's, there's something where we are believing the wrong thing. Okay. That needs to be changed. Here's the, the third thing uh, that can be a door, a residual area, and, and that is this, memories. Memories of terrible experiences that happened before we knew the Lord that we still allow to dominate our emotions. Mm. I'm going to say that again. Memories of terrible experiences that happened before we knew the Lord that we still allow to dominate our emotions. And this is why, you know, things like forgiveness are so powerful. Uh, and all, you know, the other things that we learn from the Word of God is to help us to be able to deal with those things, process them, put them back, and, and take the power away from those things. You cannot undo your past experiences. I mean, they're part of your life experience, but you can undo the effect that they have on your life. Okay. Here's the, the next one. Fears that were transferred to us from maybe parents, family members, or friends. Fears that we have picked up along the way in our lives from maybe our parents, our family members, friends, mm -hmm. things that we have uh, become afraid of. And, and I'm telling you, fear will destroy you. Fear is not your friend, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, as I said a couple weeks ago in, in church, fear will draw to you the things that you're afraid of, just like faith and faith in God's word will draw to you what God has promised in his word. So fear has the ability to produce in your life the things that you're afraid of. If you, if you keep that fear in your life, it will draw those things to you. And then lastly, years of incorrect doctrine taught to us in our former churches that we must now unlearn and overcome. Yeah. I'm going to say that again. Years of incorrect doctrine taught to us in our former churches that we must now unlearn and overcome. Now, listen, people, uh, past, you know, I, I'm a general believer that, that people try and do the right thing. Okay, I, I, you know, call me naive or whatever, but, um, you know, these ministers thought they were doing the right things, thought they were teaching the right things, thought they were saying the right things. But unfortunately, because of deception in their own lives, they were telling us truths that absolutely went contrary to the Word of God without finding out what does the Word say for themselves. 
And I said this to our congregation Sunday. The, the thing that you're going to have to do is find out what this book says for yourself. I'll tell you boldly and emphatically, don't even take what I say at face value. Find out, does the word really say that? And get that down in your heart because it's faith. Listen to this. It's faith in God's word that's going to bring help and healing and deliverance to you. Not faith in what Pastor Brad said. Okay? It's very, very important. Now, I'm going to do my best to tell you what the word says, but you can't have faith in my word. You got to have faith in God's word. Okay? Amen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. All right. So, in all of these areas, your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions, listen to this, is the strategic center where spiritual warfare takes place. Man, I am so convinced that these areas right here, this list that I just gave you, if we'll get a grip on these areas with the help of God's Word and the Holy Spirit, man, you're dealing with the devil, having to deal with the devil is going to be absolutely minimalized. Okay? Because again, what you're doing is you're shutting the door on his ability to wage warfare in your life. Now, I do want to say this. This is a process. It's not something you're going to, you know, by the time you wake up tomorrow morning, all of these things are going to be changed. It's not going to work that way. It's going to be a process as you grow and mature in the things of God. I wish it was an overnight thing. I wish I could pray a prayer and pray for all of you guys and, and all these things would be dealt with once and for all. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Okay. Oh, but yeah. it, it just doesn't work that way. We have to grow. We have to walk in these things and it is a process. Okay. So, the thing that you have to understand is that before you were born again, the condition of your mind was hostile toward God and bent on destruction. Now, I hope you were a good person before you got saved. Some of us more than others, okay? <laughs> but what you need to understand, the Bible says that our minds were at enmity with God. What that means is that we were hostile towards the things of God. Um, we might have we might have tried to do right, but when it comes to living for God, giving our lives totally and 100% to Him, before we were saved, our minds were hostile to that. And so mm -hmm. after we're born again, the process of getting that changed, your spirit was changed, but your mind has to be renewed. Okay, let's look at a couple of scriptures. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. Romans chapter 8 and verse 7. I'm going to read this to you out of the, the New International Version. It says this, the mind, now keep in mind, Paul is writing to believers when he says this. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Man, what a... What a terrible predicament for someone who is born again, washed in the blood, has the, the, the Spirit of God down on the inside of him, but his mind is being governed by his flesh. Okay? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. Colossians chapter 1 
and verse 21, also in the NIV, says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay? So the way we, we thought before Christ made us uh, in, our, in our daily lives enemies uh, with God. In other words, we were going contrary to what God wanted. Now in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. I'm going to read this to you from the New Living Translation. It says this, With the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Now, man, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. And uh, we were just talking about uh, this person that they knew who was living a transgender lifestyle. They're, they're physically female, but they think they're a boy. And, and I mean, just, and, and I made the comment, I said, man, we are seeing the height of confusion in our world today. And, and you need to understand the scripture says that, um, you know, where Satan is involved, there's confusion in every evil work. People are more confused today than they ever have been. But here's what, here's, notice what Paul says. I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Can you imagine if back in Paul's day, 2,000 years ago, if they were confused, can you imagine what, how confused they are today? Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Paul talking about the gospel, the light of the word of God shining in the hearts of people. And he said, the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that don't believe so that the gospel can't shine to them. See, and I go back to the statement I made at the very beginning, and that is this, people, lost people, do what they do because they're blind and confused and lost. Okay? And, and maybe sometimes that will help us have a little compassion and mercy towards people uh, who are lost. But the fact of the matter is people that don't know Jesus are lost, they're confused, and they're blinded. Okay? So, what we don't want to do is to get born again and then continue on in our Christian walk with our, our minds confused and blinded. Uh, we want to open our hearts and our minds to the Word of God so that God can begin to change those areas of our lives. Okay, so very often it's through the unrenewed mind that the enemy is able to exert his foul influence over us. He looks for areas that you and I have not renewed our thinking in. And when he finds those areas of thinking, he, he discovers a place that he can exert control over you. Okay? So that's why we're told time and time again in the Word of God, we've got to do something with our minds. Let me give you a few verses about that. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul said this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, 
and this is the new living, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 says this, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Colossians chapter 3 verse 10 in the NIV says this, and having put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. And then 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 uh, says this. Peter wrote and said, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. Now, what's interesting, uh, Pastor Rick Renner gives a little bit of commentary on these two verses. And when the reason Peter said, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, the, in the Greek language, what this is implying, now they didn't wear pants per se, like we wear pants today, but we could bring it into modern times and say this. Peter paints the picture of a runner whose, whose pants have fallen down and gotten tangled up around his ankles. You've probably seen that in the cartoons where you don't run very fast or far. You end up falling if you're like that. Okay. So this person was running a good race, but got tripped up because of wrong thinking. So what Paul is telling us is because of wrong thinking, and, and he says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, pull the pants up in your mind, button them up, belt them up, be sober, and, and get your thinking straightened out so you can run this race and win this race and not be entangled because of wrong thinking. Okay? So the consistent renewal of our minds with the Word of God will eradicate wrong thinking, wrong believing, scars from the past, hurtful emotional memories, and fears that would exert influence on our life in Christ. And so in addition to taking authority over demonic powers, real spiritual warfare entangles, or entails rather, taking authority over your mind. That's where it's got to start. Okay? All right. Well, we'll stop right there for tonight. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.